is Entheogen. Elevate the conversation. I'm Joe. I'm Brad. And I'm Kevin. Please support Entheogen by making a donation on Patreon. Become a patron for as little as $1. Pledge just $3 or more and get early access to new episodes, plus exclusive patron-only features. Head over to entheogenshow.com and click on support. And thanks again. Hey guys, it's been a while. It's good to be back on the phone with you. Hello. It is good to yo, be back. Yo, yo, Hello. Yeah, great great to hear your voices. We, um, I hope our listeners feel the same way. Uh, I'm sure it's, uh, for, for some, some people new to the show, they probably burned through the, the, the back catalog of episodes by now and they're wondering where the next one is and is, is the mm-hmm. show over? And uh, the answer is the show is not over. We are just officially, I guess, in between seasons. We've been on kind of a, you know, informal hiatus for a little while. Um, but we have been working on next season and thinking about the, the shows that we'll be bringing to you very soon. Um, in the meantime, we have an article that's been released featuring uh, quotes from all of us. And we were yeah. quoted in Playboy magazine. So mission accomplished. Check that that's box right. on the, uh, the life goals list. We've, um, we thought about <laughs> retiring because we achieved the, the ultimate goal of the show. But In our industry, they call it a mic you. drop, Brad. Exactly. (laughs) It's pretty much like the equivalent of like Michael Jordan hitting that like, you know, fading last three point shot and then retiring. You know, that's that's what we did there. I I, I did hope that, uh, you know, we would be invited to the mansion, though, you know, to celebrate it in the grotto or something like that. Right. Right. Exactly. Go see (laughs) go see the mummified Hugh. Exactly. And I mean, where better a place to discuss toxic masculinity than in the grotto at the Playboy? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. I think that's where the topic uh, was born, actually. <laughs> the, <laughs> toxic masculinity certainly is a you know huge and important subject um, that is kind of a scourge on our planet right now uh, in our culture. And, uh, and, you know, asking the question, could psychedelics be the cure to it? Obviously, at this point, it's probably way too early to answer that question. Um, But we talked about it a little bit uh, in this in this article, after being invited to discuss it by the journalist Michelle Janikin. I thought it was funny that, you know, not funny, uh, entirely appropriate that we had the opportunity to mansplain, you know, to Michelle, (laughs) why, you know, how as experts on the the topic you know how purveyors of 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 toxic masculinity (laughs) is that what you mean brett (laughs) exactly i do i I do think though uh you know some some of what we talked about and that michelle mentioned in the interview are are discussions we've had in private and uh i certainly remember discussing this at uh at burning man one year there i just lost the burning man challenge again Shit. <laughs> but uh everything that is old is new again yes <laughs> i do remember um i do remember having this conversation though there because we were we were discussing sort of um as and, and it's a conversation i've had with a lot of people there but, but kind of like i think as a man there it's like a really interesting place um your first maybe one or two times to to kind of realize that you feel maybe more comfortable than you ever have before around a lot of other Dudes, and because it's not because toxic masculinity plays uh, a one percent role in, in the entire event, it's very hard to find um, examples of it there, and it's very noticeable if you've been particularly affected by that sort of an environment before. And um, so, yeah, as we were 
discussing this with Michelle and whatnot, I kept thinking about, you know, just kind of what the effect of that culture or environment was on my life. And that's uh, something I'm very glad to uh, at least have moved away from in, in, in great part. Um, so yeah, I, th- I thought it was a really interesting topic. It's definitely made me think a little bit more about it since we, we had the conversation with her and I, I think she did a fantastic job in the article kind of, uh, bring kind of explaining what the, what it is and where, where it comes from, how it affects so many people and then tying in the, uh, the possibility that, that psychedelics may offer, uh, some sort of a roadmap out of that kind of a uh, culture. Mm-hmm. Check the show notes. We'll link to the article, of course. Um, definitely worth everyone's time to give it a read and to see quotes from your friends here. And if, if you get angry about the fact that there have been no episodes, it's because Joe's been living in a van for a year. <laughs> That's I, right. People need to know that. <laughs> Not in a bad way. He's been living in a van in a good way. <laughs> Not in like the Chris Farley down by the river van. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. exactly. I've been deliberately living in a van for a year. Um, <laughs> and actually, we, we just passed the the, the one-year uh, anniversary. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's officially been a nice. year. Um, yeah, we, uh, my wife and I live in a van. Uh, we both work remotely full-time. And uh, unfortunately, Entheogen is not my full-time job. I wish it were. And, and maybe, uh, you know, listeners, you can help make that happen someday. Um, but uh, in any case, we've been spending a lot of time, of course, just, uh, you know, working and driving around the country and seeing all kinds of amazing places, um, national parks, state parks, uh, towns and cities across the U.S. and it's been an incredible, incredible time. And uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm recording right now. I'm talking to you guys from Yellowstone National Park. Um, it's mm. the first national park ever uh, in the world. Um, it's one of the largest ones in this country. It's massive. It's incredible. Um, and it's it's kind of interesting to me because I mean, it represents the idea that we should take care of our mother planet, you know, take care of Gaia. Let's, 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 you know, let's like respect mother earth. Right. Um, but we do it in this way where we carve out a little piece of, of the environment and we kind of put it over here and we fence it off and we say, that's the place you go to enjoy nature, you know? And it's almost like lately we just came from Glacier, Glacier National Park before this where you know its namesake glacier i think there were 300 when it was uh when it was made a national yeah. park over 100 years ago say, what, what is that i remember my grandparents talking about those with <laughs> right <them. laughs> i i think there are less than 30 uh glaciers left officially now and they're melting at a you know ever faster and alarming rate um which is illustrating of course the the concern which is that um these national parks and state parks these little preserved you know areas of of nature are becoming more of like a historical curiosity you know it's like this is what the planet once looked like you know look at this kids like you know this is a simulation of like a beautiful nature scene <laughs> well the, there's also been a huge uh recently via instagram that a lot of national parks are getting more more and more attended because of social media and and a, like a younger generation's access to things visually so like Antelope Canyon and Zion, there are a lot of parks where they're more popular than ever and they're insanely crowded and they're requiring, you know, months in advance bookings to go to these places. Um, so it's a weird juxtaposition of, you know, 
the idea of glaciers being in the the museum of museums remember when there used to be museums um <laughs> but then there's still this there there's a lot of activity of people going to these parks in some cases more than ever through the the modern advent of social media i know i'm getting old because i'm starting to have like i'm starting to respect the younger generations and and hoping that they are the ones that can do something <laughs> our generation has not figured it out yeah, exactly. Ne- the next time is the charm, hopefully. It's like when I'm watching 12-year-old Swedish girls and I'm getting like, you know, hopeful. <laughs> I've, uh, I've become an old man. Where are you watching 12-year-old Swedish girls? <laughs> oh, so toxic. So toxic. Sorry, sorry. She's, I, just, I just Googled and she's 15. I'm sorry. She's not 12. <laughs> Greta Thunberg, who's doing all these like unbelievably inspiring uh, talks uh, just in in every place you can i don't know every place there's some conversation happening about climate change she's there and like kind of like scolding adults with unbelievable rhetoric and uh and i'm just watching this and i'm like what like what are these people figured out at 15 that like we don't get yet or like how, how did they i don't know how are they awake to this i don't know so specific young swedish women Yes, no, it's not a it's not a generalized thing. I'm not like pouring over like you know yearbooks or anything like that. You know, like. I'm not sure we can use any of this for the show, guys. <laughs> Remember, trying to trying to maintain our uh, you know so, some uh, you know some qualifications here to uh, to discuss the topic of toxic masculinity, but uh, rendering ourselves completely uh, yeah disqualified. Speaking <laughs> about it, oh, well, uh, we had a good run. Well, you know, it's it is it is interesting to think about. Um, you know, we bring this topic up quite often on the show of uh, you know e- e- ecology, um, e- you know, uh, environmental awareness, and uh, thinking about national parks and state parks and just other kind of preserved areas of nature, and how you know those were necessary to avoid those areas becoming. Uh, overutilized and destroyed, you know, in their natural beauty. Yeah. And now with all the, you know, the, this social media has like probably increased by an order of magnitude, the number of visitors, like you were saying, Brad, and, and then you end up with like, now the national parks themselves are becoming overutilized. And um, it's, I mean, I don't know if it's a stretch to call this toxic masculinity or to kind of relate it. The idea of there being a national park, like you mentioned, Joe, like Yellowstone, like sort of fencing off this area and having this place be for that purpose. Um, it feels very Western. It seems like a very historically Western idea to separate. And um, I, I remember that when we went to Japan for the first time and the, the gardens in, in Japan, and I think this is generally an Eastern philosophy of how gardens work and how they, they the idea is for them to look as natural as possible. Mm-hmm. compared to Western gardens where it's sort of like man's domination of nature and you have these gardens that like are in a perfect row and are like very like almost geometric looking and it's like look what yeah. look what we can do to nature to to be pleasing to us in the way that we want it. Where the Eastern idea is way more integrated or attempting to honor, you know, how it should look naturally. Uh just yesterday, uh we went to um, uh, the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, Modern Art, and they had this whole exhibit on this place called the Sea Ranch in uh, Northern California. It was like this big architectural 
uh, housing project, and the whole idea was to integrate it into nature. I don't want to, it's worth checking out if you guys had never heard of it. It's a really fascinating project and it's incredibly beautiful on, you know, the, the northern shore of California. It's like 100 miles north of San Francisco. Um, so there, there are glimmers of it sort of in the Western world, but I do think that is a little, it seems funny and odd to say like fence this place off and be like, here's where you go do nature. Right. And and this comes up in like, uh, you know, in, in, in politics with policymaking where y- you have the idea of like in regulation to keep the environment, to preserve the environment, to to prevent, you know, companies from over utilizing resources and things. And, you, you know, you have on one side of things, the idea like, obviously, we need to like take care of things and, you know, everything needs to be able to stay in balance. And on the other side, you have this idea that, you know, you if you overregulate things, then you know you, you you know you you're not competitive in business, and you're not competitive with other countries, and uh, so there's the, that idea of like compartmentalizing things and keeping the fenced-off area like that can be protected, um, but everything else is like fair game, and I think it's just fundamentally like the wrong you know construction to to look at things that yeah, way. <clears throat> but I think there are different things too. I mean, like I think you look at areas like uh, Yosemite, and I mean that that's like that sort of happens because of the kind of movement that we need now on, on a much larger scale, right? It happens because there's, uh, what's the Sierra club that's, that, that basically, you know, sought out that land and kind of, uh, made sure that, you know, that, that it was maintained and fought for the kind of the right to keep it, uh, protected and eventually becomes absorbed into the national park system, et cetera. So I think it's kind of that, uh, that kind of thinking of uh, and that kind of social movement of just or you know organization of large amounts of people to to protect different things. I think that's definitely one of the the, the things we need. Um, speaking of the going back to you know fifteen year old Swedish girls for a second, um, Greta Thunberg la- a couple weeks ago when the Notre Dame um, uh, cathedral burned, um, you know, it, it, there was just an outpouring of sympathy around the world, and people were donating large sums of money to to restore the church. And I thought, um, you know, and there were, there was a lot of sort of like this kind of uh, typical criticism on social media. It's like, oh, you know, when this happens, people donate money, but like people are dying every day, nobody does anything. And um, I thought Greta Thunberg again, a 15 year old girl. This is like blows my mind. And she she had a speech like two or three days after that, and she said that she thinks we, like we just need to expand our cathedral thinking. And I was like, that's a really cool way to say that. That's yeah, yeah. You know, awesome. it's a way. It doesn't alienate those people. It just kind of like takes their their. They did something. You know, even if it's not how ever like it wouldn't have been the best use of all resources, but it, it it took a very good intention by a lot of people and just sort of like expanded it. You know, and mm-hmm. I thought, uh, yeah, just just a little bit more social movement. So I think, yeah, that's the national park thing. Though when you visit, you can see it as like, oh, they just fenced this, but it, it it's not like they fenced it all. It's like it, it's like a lot of people fought really hard for that. And I thought that was something that was really noticeable when I was at Yosemite is that when you go into like the dining hall area etc it feels like very i don't know what the it feels like there's a social purpose there and a cohesion and people are there like working towards something and there's there's just a lot of like pride in what they're they're doing there and i think that we we could just latch onto that expand it and and move it into other other areas that are you know not just national parks that would be that would be awesome, and hopefully, social media can contribute. <laughs> you know, I thought this mention of social media is interesting because I feel like it's, 
um, privately a way people can feel like maybe good about certain things, but then publicly we do, we, I don't know, we just, social media contributes to a, a lot of like bad election results lately that, that don't help the <laughs> overall cause a lot. Which ones? Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> everywhere. It's like, it's not, it's not even about, uh, the U S anymore. It just seems like everywhere we haven't gotten to like, to, I, I know there's been an awakening towards, um, you know, an ecological movement, et cetera. It's, it's very noticeable compared to how things were when we were kids. I think it's much more on people's minds, but I think the true mark of if we've arrived or not will happen when, when people vote for an environmental platform and that hasn't happened yet. Nobody has chosen a candidate because of their stance on the environment. Um, you know, just other issues just outweigh that. And I think when the tables turn is when that happens, when it's like, oh, I'm in between these two, but this one has a better, you know, a better record yeah. or a better, better plan for, for yeah. uh, the, the environment. I think that'd be fascinating until yeah. now. The single greatest piece of news I've read that's made me hopeful is that it was like a month ago, the, um, like the Saudi sovereign, uh, investment fund, like diversified from, uh, their oil, you know, fossil fuel investments into some renewable energies. And I thought that was the single greatest piece of like macro news, that that could possibly you know show some signs that we're moving in in a in a bigger direction and you know in a in a better direction and uh, with a little bit more of a global view. Yeah, the this sort of has you mentioned historically the the to put into perspective kind of the historical context of what it means to be conscious of nature and and that level of awareness. Uh, there's a scene in the TV show Mad Men, which I think a big part of that show is sort of showing how in the 1950s and 60s, it wasn't that long ago that we felt very differently about a lot of social norms that we kind of take for granted today. Um, you know, pregnant women smoking cigarettes, all the just general toxic masculinity um, that is rampant in that show. But the, there's one scene in that show that made me like gasp aloud which is when Don and and the wife and the kids are at a uh, a picnic. They drive their new Cadillac to upstate New York, or just out of the city rather, and they have a picnic. And at the end of their picnic, they have all the garbage on their blanket, and he just shakes the blanket off, and all of the garbage from their picnic just leaves on the side of the road in this field. <laughs> and I like gasped aloud. I was like, oh, "That's littering! Kids litter. That's bad." And just the way that that. That sort of, I was like, man, not that long ago in, in the U.S., there isn't nearly that pervasive consciousness of what it means to litter and that even littering is a bad thing to do. That's such a good point. Yeah. It's it's really, it's a great example of one of those things that, uh, you know, it is represented by like our own individual mindset about something and how, how different that can be like from just one generation to the next or even within a generation where I, I recently actually had an example of that too where uh, my parents came to visit and we, you know, we're just talking and we're hanging out in Sedona, Arizona and just appreciating the, the beauty of the surrounding area and the topic of, uh, you know, taking care of nature came up. And, uh, you know, something my mom said was like, uh, you know, something about how like, yeah, you know, I, I just I realize that, uh, you know, it's, it's so important and uh, I, I don't even throw my gum out the window anymore. Um, and I was like, you know, it, it just occurred to me like like. 
I wouldn't like even like dream of doing that. Like I, I don't know if there was a time. There probably was a time when I was a kid or something. I didn't know any better, or, or my role models didn't know any better, and I just threw gum out the window. But it's not something that I would do, you know, or even think that like. I deserve a pat on the back for not doing it. You know, it's just like the way that things are now. Like we don't throw things out the window of our cars, you know, and that's probably something that happened like between, you know, my parents' generation and now. And I mean, that's a very small example and that's not going to save the planet, but it reflects a mindset that you kind of have to have. Like you either see the consequence of your actions, you know, even as something as small as that. Like if I look around and I don't want to see wrappers everywhere, I'm probably going to like think twice about throwing my own out the window, you know. Um, but like, I don't, what, what is it about like our parents' generation maybe, or, you know, the, the characters from Mad Men, that, that generation in general that didn't really get that, you know, I, I in one of the articles that we shared, uh, privately and it's sort of, uh, today when we're discussing toxic masculinity, uh, a, a friend, uh, Trevor had sent to me, uh, and it was about sort of toxic masculinity in his hometown in Canada and about, uh, it was, it was kind of like a small blue collar town and a lot of, a lot of the men had, ended up um, committing suicide, et cetera, because of a combination of economic problems and sort of the culture of toxic masculinity there. They Basically, there, there had been a very high suicide rate in the last X amount of years because men were just having a really hard time dealing with reality, you know, when like jobs dried up, et cetera, not being able to adapt to like a new economy, getting involved instead of, um, I don't know, looking for an outlet, basically turning to like drugs and alcohol. So there was a very big, uh, there's very high rate of alcoholism, drug abuse, and and then, you know, ergo suicide. Returning to your point. It may be the result of a, like a failing in society that we tend to always have, I think, um, to keep up with our own sort of innovations you know and like so our parents generation is probably like the first time in human history where we just had like mass production of like consumer goods like just rampant you know like you just have grocery stores full of boxes of shit you don't need um, you know, and, and like just aisles and aisles yeah. of like stores filled with stuff. And yeah, and they were high on convenience, right? Like the, the convenience yeah, high, right. so all it, of a sudden, like things got a lot easier and a lot more, I don't know, a lot more attractive, a lot more new stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it's sort of almost borders on like, I mean, it is luxury, you know, it's, it's affordable. luxury. Yeah. It's like this idea that you can just look around and like take your pick of anything off the shelf and, and buy it. And then like, it's your prerogative to just throw it out if you don't want it anymore, you know, and that's, that's, power that's like you know i have I, yeah. I live this luxurious and powerful lifestyle where i can walk into a store and i can you know command the the the, uh, the clerk to to give me something that i want and then i can walk out and if i don't like it anymore i can throw it out the window of my car you know and it's it's like it just seems <laughs> well, like it's I, like it's I luxury think, you know i do i do think there's another thing here though and the reason I, I brought up that article and now my thought has returned um was that um they were kind of discussing that about you know it's like what what is your in this article they're talking about a little bit about what you know like the circle of your own consciousness and people i think people in our parents generation there, there's a, a quote that's highlighted in the article and something about how you know people our, our parents were too busy working to like you know deal with these problems and i think that was a big thing too is that like you know we've we've grown up a little bit more luxury a little bit more more free time etc we weren't worried about like getting out of high school and getting a job so we had a little bit more time to think about these things and to have sort of social aims and you know and, and more of a i don't know if, more of a global consciousness if you want to call it that um whereas i think in our 
a lot of people in our parents' generation, I mean, like my parents, like they, it's like they were, you know, they had kids young, they were working like crazy, and they were very worried about surviving and you know having you know having having enough and being able to put their kids you know in a decent position uh going forward so i think maybe um you know our generation we've had a lot more free time a lot more to you know a lot more time to think we didn't have kids right away um you know it's 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 different i think we're you know sort of living under the the shade of you know that that chinese uh metaphor about uh, one generation you know planting the tree and the, the next generation living under its shade Hmm. I can see your point that, you know, if you don't have time to really like stop and reflect on things, you know, you're just more of a product of like society. And if society hasn't really made yeah. a determination on like whether smoking is, you know, is good or bad for you and whether, you know, whether it's, yeah, yeah. it's you know, like, is there any consequence to throwing paper out the window? I mean, it's just paper. It'll probably, you know, it'll rain and then the paper won't be visible anymore. And, but like, you know, you, it's, it, nobody's thinking about like the, the scaling problem and nobody's thinking about, you know, the, just of course, like, the bigger yeah. picture really. And, and that's kind of, I, that's what I mean when I say like, it's really a, like common failing of society is like nobody's really thinking about the long term or the big picture on an individual basis we're all just sort of trying to get through the day and i think that what happens is like the like you you do have social media that's um you know clearly affecting like our our uh, you know our psychology and 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 back i mean look at an example straight out of bad men you know with with uh you know smoking like you you actually had the people who were in a position of power um, who could have done something about it actively suppressing the information, you know, that smoking was bad and should not be, you know, sh- should not be like promoted, you know, certainly in, in society. And and yet, like, you know, those studies that proved that were, were suppressed for a long time. So you end up with like a society of like pawns who are just kind of going through their day without anybody saying like, yeah. you know, is there something I should be questioning here? But but I think I think people I, I generally ha- hold the view that most people want to do the right right thing or the good thing or at least the majority of society does and I think most of the time it's just a, a it's an information question and I think so if if you look at that generation you know that information was suppressed and and a lot of people perhaps had the feeling but they didn't really know and there wasn't good information because the information was suppressed et cetera so they just didn't they didn't act and I think similarly now we're in a situation where I think a lot of people would like to do something you know whatever it is they're like i think people are dying for someone to tell them what to do like oh, yeah i think this is a problem but what do i do and right now i think the only thing we've been able to tell people is like well you know vote and 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 again we still haven't had a serious candidate in, in any place i've seen that that does you know whose primary agenda has been environmental in any way um but but also i think it's you know it's like people people are i, I think if if someone would come out with like a, a reasonable list of things that they could do but i think most people feel like well i can't stop driving my car i can't stop you know flying for work and the other things i do it's okay, very hard to um give people a tangible list of things they can do to to help that that are you know that have legitimate impact when they not feel like they're just being you know they're just doing something to go through the motions um I think so one I think, thing you know, that everyone can do, Kevin, is listen to this show and share <laughs> this show with all of their friends and family. Yeah, so. and actually, because we perform this show by Skype, you know, mm-hmm. our, our like our, our carbon footprint is just fantastic. You also, know? be inspired by us as individuals. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, I think to to, to bring this back around, I think uh, there's been a really, to me, one of the most interesting things on like actionable individual level things you can do is obviously um, is is reducing uh, meat consumption. You know, I mean, if it's meat and, and fish consumption, it's like I, I'm one of those people. It's like I'm never going to go to zero. But I, I think there's uh, in terms of like your impact on the earth, both, you know, just both on how land is used, et cetera, is, is uh, you know, is re- reducing meat. And I think there's some really interesting things happening. Like the, the last few weeks, there's been a couple articles about uh, that one company beyond meat going public on the on the stock exchange. Um, and they basically produce like, you know, plant-based meats that taste great, et cetera, that don't have any, you know, no meat, not even legumes, et cetera. They're all completely plant-based. So I think simple things like that, it's like, oh, if I can, you know, just, just reduce something, it doesn't even, I don't have, you don't have to give it up. I can just bring it down to a minimal level of consumption. If everyone does that, we can have a tremendous impact on, on, you know, some important aspect of this issue. So we'd like to thank Michelle Janikin for writing this article, Hallucinogenic Healing, Could Psychedelics Cure Toxic Masculinity? And you can find that article in Playboy magazine, and you can find the link to that article in our show notes at entheogenshow.com. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back very soon with another season of Entheogen. We've got a couple shows, I think, ready to go um, that uh, we can put out pretty soon in the season. There's one uh, about... It was kind of a personal episode about my personal relationship with with smoking pot and you know how that's evolved in recent years. By the way, Joe, can't we find uh, that article in the Playboy that's uh, underneath your mattress? That's <laughs> also a decent place to find that article. I told you I only read Playboy for the articles. <laughs> that was Entheogen. Elevate the conversation. I'm Joe. I'm Brad. And I'm Kevin. Please support Entheogen by making a donation on Patreon. Become a patron for as little as $1. Pledge just $3 or more and get early access to new episodes, plus exclusive patron-only features. Head over to entheogenshow.com and click on support. And thanks again. Is that the name of the... Tar- I, I'm looking for this tab here, guys. This sucks. <laughs> this sucks. It's close. If that's not it, it's close. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't know where all my shit... It's, I click, oh, man. <laughs> oh, God. Right, that was back. great, man. This tab. That's fine. <laughs> Is that the name it's of the so article? It's so bad, man. <laughs> it's so bad. Good. Could psychedelics... Okay, here we go. Can you, can you end with an anchor man? Like, you know, this is Joe <laughs> signing off. Fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um.